Well, good morning to you. It truly is a blessing to be here. And for those that are not here and may be listening in, we uh, say good morning to you too. And just a pleasure to, to be here among you here today. I don't know if you looked at your your bulletin this morning or not and wondered what kind of a sermon title that is. Um, but we're going to think about that. And uh, to begin with, uh, I'll ask you a kind of an odd question. Have you ever went shopping at Aldi? A lot of us have, probably. You know, you, you put the quarter in the slot to get your cart, and you go in the store and and so on. You, do you like that idea? Now, I'm not a shopping expert. Actually, I don't do very much shopping. But in Aldi, they have a kind of a different system for the shopping carts. Like I said, you put your, your quarter in to get to unlock your, your cart, go in the store, you do your shopping, you take your groceries to the counter, the lady takes or whoever takes your items out of the cart with your quarter in it and puts, as she rings them up, she puts them in another cart with a quarter in it. And when they're done, they tell you to have a nice day. And you, if you want, you take it over, you push your cart over there to the side and you bag your items if you wish. Take your cart out to your car and put the things in the car. And you take your cart back to where you got it from, and you can get your quarter back. Shopping's a lot of work. <laughs> it's it's a process that maybe some of us don't even hardly think about. It's just the way we do things. So with that odd thought for a sermon in mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. This chapter is an amazing chapter of the teaching of Jesus, so full of truth, and there's many sermons here in this chapter. Today I'd like to look at one verse. It's a profound statement of Jesus, and probably one of the widest known and respected teachings of Jesus around the world, actually. This statement of Jesus is an essential basis for morality, especially and how humans relate to each other. It goes across cultures and nations and languages and religions and so on. It's verse 12. Let's read it. I happen to have the, the King James here. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We call it the golden rule. Shopping carts and the golden rule. Is my title today. Luke records it this way. Maybe this is more familiar to some of us. Luke 6 verse 31. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. Now our world is full of wise sayings and good moral advice. You see it on plaques, on walls, and on desks. Uh, and these... Wise sayings are supposed to be inspirational and thought-provoking. And I think they're supposed to make us stop and think about life, consider our ways, and maybe motivate us to 
uh, honorable goal. So just a couple examples of some wise sayings I happen to notice and studying here. Here's one. Living for others unlocks all the joy you will ever need. Now think about that. Don't know if that's completely true or not, but it's a wise saying that someone had in their living room. Here's another one, and I quote, Offering all you have makes life deep beyond measure. So as we think about these these types of wise sayings or inspirational sayings, there's often there's there's some truth there, depending on what you mean by what is is stated. I remember a sign that hung above the tool room door in a place I used to work years ago, and it said this: "Build it, and they will come." I think with this this was. Um, was for us craftsmen, <laughs> and the idea was if you build something with integrity, with beauty, and somebody will want it. If it's quality, whatever it is you're building, build it and they will come. So that was an interesting saying for a bunch of craftsmen. Probably some selfish motives uh, along with that wise saying or inspirational saying. So there's all kinds of, of these type of, of clever words for businesses and situations and so on. And some people can be pretty clever with words, especially when they're promoting their product or their their business. Was it Lowe's or Home Depot? One of those used to at least have a saying like this, you can do it, we can help. Now you've heard that. Obviously targeting the do-it-yourselfer, that's working in its house. You can do it. We can help. And obviously promoting their their business. So there's some subtle things going on when we tie clever words to profit. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just we have to remember what these clever words are supposed to be doing. Of course, not all clever words are tied to money. Some clever words are tied to self-worship or even adultery or worse things. And, of course, not all these wise and inspirational sayings are, are bad. In fact, most of them probably are intended to inspire us to live life well. But even if those these, these kind of wise sayings, inspirational sayings, are, are helpful and encouraging, and I'm not criticizing wise sayings this morning. But even though they're, they can be helpful and encouraging, it is yet they're limited. It is very difficult to put together a few concise and inspirational words in a nutshell that says all we need for life. That's very difficult to do. So Jesus did an amazingly well at, at this, saying so much so well in a few profound words. And we certainly see this is the case here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So, a question to ponder. Are the words of Jesus, we call it the golden rule here, just another one of those sayings that is supposed to inspire us to live life well? Or is it more? I think it's more. And we're going to look at that here this morning.
So we all know that inspirational words really don't do us much good unless they're applied to our heart, right? And to our way of life. Ideally, we would combine inspirational words, wise words, clever words, words of truth, with a heart that wants to do what's right for the right reasons. A heart that is changed by inspirational words would seek to apply those words to life in practical ways. We won't take time to turn to it, but in James chapter 1, James writes about a man that looks in a mirror, and he walks away from the mirror and forgets what he just seen. It's like you have a big grease streak across your forehead. And you look in the mirror and say, ooh, where'd that come from? And you walk away and do nothing about it. That's a little like, I think what James was saying there, it's like seeing truth, seeing my life in the context of truth, and then thinking, well, I should do something about it, and then never do. So one of the things as we we think about inspirational sayings we have to think about is, is this collection of clever words truth or not? And I suppose that's debatable depending on what is intended by what is said. And I'm sure there are encouraging and inspirational sayings that are, that are helpful. Uh, going back to the Aldi sh- uh, grocery shopping cart idea. I suppose we all have our opinions about that system. And I'm not sure what all Aldi's main business slogan or their clever words would be, but here's some I found on their website, and I quote, The customer comes first. You are our everything. Some clever words, probably with some um, selfish intentions. Another one, uh, they talk about their twice as nice guarantee. Spend a little, save a lot. I always thought if you spend, you spend. (laughs) But I guess if you have to spend, if you spend less, then you've saved some, I guess. But anyway, clever words intended to polish the image of Aldi in the customer's minds, I suppose. I'm not criticizing Aldi. I just looked for an example to use from the corporate world and Aldi happened to be it. Actually, I could probably have more criticism for Walmart than Aldi. Uh, Aldi tends to be a nice store. But anyway, the, the Aldi shopping cart idea with the, the needed quarter, what do you think about that idea? Why do they do this? Well, Aldi says it saves them money and they pass the savings on to the customer. It motivates the customer, that quarter, motivates the customer to return the shopping cart where it belongs. Thus, Aldi needs less staffing for their stores. And the next customer has a shopping cart ready to go at the right spot. So how many times have you seen those college kids at Walmart muscling those long lines of carts back into the store. Somebody has to pay them. Somebody has to do that work. Nothing wrong with that. 
But Audi's idea was, why don't we motivate the customer to return his own car rather than paying someone to to return the car to the front of the store? Now, if you go into a store and there's no carts, we would probably be annoyed. We'd probably think, you know, if these people want me to shop in their store, they really ought to at least provide a cart for me. We think, as Americans, we're entitled to a cart. But let's think about this for a minute. According to one source that I found, shopping carts at Walmart cost over $100 a piece. So your average Walmart store will have somewhere between 600 and 800 carts for their customers to use. A super center could have up to 2,000 carts. So if do the math. A shopping cart costs $100 and you have 2,000 of them. That's a $200,000 investment for a store to have something for a customer to use for free. That's a huge investment. Of course, there's another side to that issue. If you make shopping easy and you make it easy for customers to pile lots of stuff on their cart and get it to the car, to the car you make it possible to pay for that cart probably pretty quickly. I don't know the numbers there, but that's the reason that they do it. In fact, that's exactly why shopping carts were invented back in the 1940s. <laughs> this this is a bunny trail here, but in the 1940s when the, they invented the shopping cart, people didn't like them because that was a day when when women didn't want to they were becoming they were coming out of the home getting in the workplace they didn't want to appear like mommy pushing the baby carriage they didn't want to push a grocery cart they didn't want to appear like i guess today's equivalent would be a soccer mom in the minivan men didn't want to push a grocery cart because it again it looked like pushing a baby cart so what they did the stores that first introduced this, they hired models to go in their store, push a grocery cart around, put things in and out of their cart, and spend all day pushing their cart around. And after a while, you know, somebody began to see, hey, that's a pretty good idea. It makes sense. And today we think nothing of it. In fact, if we walk in the store and there's no carts, we're annoyed. Like, what is going on here? So Aldi has figured out a way to motivate customers to return their free cart to the front of the store. Less store staff is needed. The customers' quarters returned. Few stubborn people refused to to uh, to go to Aldi just because of, of their system. They will stick their car keys and other things into that slot trying to not have to stoop to using their quarter. The indignity of that, I guess. Interestingly enough, some of those people will not pick a quarter off the, the pavement because it's not worth enough to be worth stooping over for. I guess we all have our opinions. But according to what Audi employees say online, store policy gives them the right or the freedom to, at Audi's expense, to give out free quarters up to five dollars 
per shift, per employee, to customers who happen not to have a quarter. So Aldi wants you to shop in their store even if you happen not to have a quarter. So what does the Aldi shopping cart idea have to do with the golden rule? So we've made a, a long uh, circle here. Well, as you think about that shopping cart, as I think about the shopping cart, how many times have I returned the shopping cart to the front of the store, not just the slot out in the parking lot, but to the front of the store where, where I got it? How many times have I done that just because I felt like it was the right thing to do? Not very often. Does that mean I'm selfish? No, that means I'm in a hurry. That means I think the store, ought, the employees ought to do that. It's not my job or whatever. But if it's my quarter's in there, then I'm motivated to return it to where it belongs. Uh, and I already figured that out. Now, you mothers, I under, totally understand why you wouldn't want to carry your, push your grocery cart and pull your children along from the store to the car, unload your groceries, pull your children and your cart back to the store to, to get your quarterback and your, your shopping cart back where it belongs, take your children back to the car again. Uh, totally understand. Unless I can get the quarterback. See, it motivates us. So a lot of people are willing to pay a bit more for purchases and have some college kid uh, push the, a long line of grocery carts back to the front of the store so someone else can use them. So I'm not promoting or criticizing Aldi, either one. But the shopping cart that needs a quarter to be able to use it brings some interesting uh, situations for people. And maybe you've had some of those. Some people will refuse to shop at Aldi. Some people will say, here, here's a quarter. You need a quarter? Here, use mine. Or here's a, here's a cart that already has a quarter in it. Use this one. I see that happening. That's some interesting things that will not happen, except that this system's in place. Some people just leave their quarters in the cart. Someone else will find it and use it. I don't know if people look for ways to put other people's quarters in their pockets or not, like volunteering to take their cart back to the store and then pocket the quarter. I don't know if that happens or not. I suppose it does. It's amazing how hard some people work to gain something for themselves. You know, I see it in my own life. I like bargains. I like free stuff. I like good deals. But I'm thinking of the words of Jesus, the golden rule. Do I care enough about other people? to take something out of my pocket to help someone else. And not just quarters, but things like time, resources, uh, just caring for someone, something of value that you can contribute to someone else. Seeing people for the value or the, seeing them as human with, with value and, and a soul that's precious in God's sight. So does the Aldi shopping cart idea put to practice the golden rule? Think about that. I suppose it does, at least in a shallow way. 
maybe or evidently Aldi is happy with this arrangement that they have. And are the words of Jesus just another one of these sayings that are some wise and clever words and supposed to inspire us to do something right? Or is it more than that? Well, think with me. We are incredibly blessed people. And sometimes I think I forget that, but we are. We have jobs. We have school. We have families. We have health care that's available. Um, all of us drove a vehicle here this morning, or most of us, besides Joe and Mary Sue, maybe. <laughs> um, we had road to drive on. There was signs posted. Uh, there's rules for the road that helps make driving safe. Um, there's a lot of wealth in our nation. There's houses. There's freedom from war, freedom for, for religion. Most of us are healthy and strong. We have bones and muscles and tendons and internal organs and red blood cells and eyes and ears that are functioning right now all by themselves and we never even thought about it. It, it works. Our Heavenly Father loves us and has told us so repeatedly and has shown us in many ways. The sun came up this morning. Gravity still works today just like it did yesterday. Photosynthesis is happening outside as I speak. The rain falls, the grass grows, and, and most of what I just mentioned and a lot more, we had nothing to do with it. God put it in place, and we are blessed because of it. We're incredibly blessed. And from that context and thought of, of being thankful and indebtedness to God, it changes, I think, the way we think about the golden rule. The love of Christ compels us to love others as he has loved us, to be generous with others as he has been generous to us. The golden rule is a foundational truth on which society must rest if it's going to function at all, or for very long at least. Without the golden rule in place at some measure, some level, society will collapse. Any society that stoops to more and more and more selfishness is headed in the direction of collapse and ruin. Even to selectively use the golden rule as a way of life, like Germany did in Hitler's day. That always leads to cruelty and the cheapening of human life and society falls apart. So when the golden rule, even a shallow version of it, is complied, applied consistently in any society, in any situation, there's some real benefits to that society to that situation. But again, I ask the question, is the golden rule just another wise saying or inspirational saying, nice words that might have some benefit to life? Or is it more than that? So here's the version of the golden rule that most people think about or, or is quoted. Something like this. Whatever you wish others to do for you, do for them. Okay? And I guess... Maybe Aldi's version of the golden rule might be something like this. If you want the privilege of using a free shopping cart to shop in the store without hunting for one, 
then be kind enough to take the shopping cart back where it's supposed to be for someone else to use. Maybe that's the Audi version of the golden rule. We see the golden rule in many business models and personal ideas. But is the golden rule really only about doing for others what I want done for me? That's the way most people interpret the golden rule. But that's not completely what Jesus said, is my point this morning. That shallow way of interpreting the golden rule removes God from the picture and makes the golden rule a good rule for good people, an admirable self-help effort, I guess. And again, it's that shallow version of the golden rule is still a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. A society that at least has the, the understanding of being respectful and kind to each other is probably a lot better society that is ruled by selfishness and brutality. Even the atheist recognizes that compassion and understanding and respect for others and a willingness to help are need, needs that we all have basic human behaviors that are needed for society to function. But Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 7 is much deeper than the shallow version that most people think of as, as the golden rule. And as the teachings of Jesus often do, Jesus goes much deeper than the surface and reaches the heart level. Jesus calls his followers to a much higher calling. Jesus is calling the believer to not just do things to better society, but to be a, a, a pipeline of his love flowing through our lives, reaching others. Let's think about what Jesus actually said, Matthew 7, verse 12. Let me read it again. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So think about what Jesus said. It comes right after what he said in verse 11, obviously, where Jesus is talking about how God gives good gifts, good things to those who ask him. And I notice the bookends, I call it, on, in verse 12, that the bookends of what Jesus said. Uh, verse 12, the King James says, Therefore, that's the first bookend. I think the Amplified says something like, uh, Version says, so then. NIV says, so in everything. In other words, because of what Jesus had been teaching in earlier verses, then he brings in the golden rule. Therefore, so then. This is the way you need to treat others. The golden rule. Therefore, that's the first book in. The second book in is at the end of the verse 12, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, obey this rule. God himself has said it and has always said it. The golden rule kind of, in, in a lot of ways, sums up the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, at least as far as how people were to relate to each other. Let's look at it. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 18. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But here's the golden rule in the Old Testament. 
Actually, it's all over the place. But here's a good example. Exodus 19, verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Actually, many of these verses surrounding what I just read uh, support the idea of the golden rule or being investing in the lives of the people around us, being kind and so on. Verse 11, uh, you should not steal or deal falsely or lie to one another. Verse 13, don't defraud thy neighbor, don't rob him. The pay the, the laborer his, his wages. Verse 14, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, and so on. Love your neighbor as yourself. I believe when Jesus spoke those words in Matthew chapter 7, he knew and understood that we need, as humans, need a God-centered foundation to base our lives on. And we need to be motivated by his kind of love. The world has a shallow view of the golden rule. And at times, it's pretty selfish, actually. Be kind to others because I, I want them to be kind to me. Again, a society with a shallow view of the golden rule is probably a much better society than one without the golden rule. But I think what Jesus is talking about goes much deeper than behaving in a certain way so that other people treat me in a certain way. Many of the world's religions have taught a negative version of the golden rule. In other words, basically they say, don't do to others what you don't want done to you. And there's some truth to that. It's not altogether a bad way of thinking and doing, but the problem with that idea is that we can actually obey that version of the golden rule by simply doing nothing. If you ever thought about that before. Don't do to others what I don't want done to me. So in reality, I can do nothing for my neighbor, and I have obeyed the shallow version of the golden rule. I think Jesus is talking about more than just that. Remember, in Matthew chapter 25, I'm not going to turn there, but that's the picture of the judgment day and Jesus dividing the sheep and the goats. And Jesus said to those on his left, verse 45, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And if you study that passage in Matthew chapter 25, all the things listed there that those people are being judged for, that they didn't do, or they chose not to do, they're being judged for that. And here's there's the golden rule in Matthew 25, although it doesn't say it in the same words. The golden rule is about much more than just either doing good things to others or not doing good things. Notice in ver uh, chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Let me read that. And he shall bring his treasures... And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I'm reading in Leviticus. Let's try Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Get my bearings here again. Verse 21. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what were these people doing in those verses that they're being judged for? And God is being displeased with them. They did some good things. Verse 22 says so. Or these people said so. We prophesied in, in your name and cast out devils. Isn't it God's will for to prophesy in his name? Isn't it God's will to cast out devils? So why were these people who were doing God's will judged and cast out? Why were they not known by Jesus. Jesus said he didn't know them. Well, if you dig a little in this chapter, Jesus had just got done talking about false prophets and wolves in sheep clothing and knowing the fruit or the tree by the fruit that has grown on it. I think that these people are being judged in verse 23 are people who said the right things, they did good things, but their heart was far from God and their good deeds were an outward cover of their heart of sin or their attitudes or something like that. So the outward good deeds were done in order to gain something selfish for themselves, it seems like to me. Doing it all not for the glory of God, but for their own glory. And that, this puts a whole new depth of importance on the golden rule. In fact, everything that Jesus taught. The commands of Jesus are much deeper than just let's not do something bad to somebody. But the commands of Jesus goes much deeper than let's do something nice to someone so they would do something nice to me. It goes deeper than that. Actually, what Jesus is teaching in meaning and lived was his love motivated him to do things for others that he knew would not be returned or even appreciated. Loving even when that other person will not love back. And that is something really, really hard to do. But that's the way God loves. That's the way Jesus loves. And that's what Jesus, I think, is calling us to. That's a hard thing to do. The religions of the world have some versions of the golden rule. Here's one. It says, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. And I've already talked about that shallow version of it. Hinduism says something like this. This is a sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Buddhism. Hurt others, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. It's claimed that Muhammad said something like this, hurt no one else so that no one may hurt you. The negative version of the golden rule. Again, not totally bad but not as deep as what Jesus is talking about. Jesus gives the golden rule in a positive way, 
to show love in practical ways, meaning it from the heart and doing it for the glory of God. Eastern religions say, refrain from doing. Jesus said, go do. Eastern religion says to hold your bad behavior in check. Jesus calls us to action, to go and live it out. Some unbelievers have accused Jesus of borrowing the golden rule from Eastern religions. However, just thinking about that in a, in a practical way, the earliest Eastern religion writings that, that we know of are from 500 to 400 B.C. at the earliest. Jesus takes the golden rule from Leviticus, probably written a thousand years before the Eastern religion writings were written. So who borrowed from who? The command to love each other like Jesus loves us is what separates the Christian moral ethic from every other religion's moral ethic. The golden rule that Jesus is teaching is completely unselfish. Something that you and I can't do on our own without his grace and, and power. Notice several things that Jesus did not say in the golden rule. And maybe that will help us understand what he did say. Jesus did not say, whatever others have done for you, return the favor and you will have kept the golden rule. Jesus didn't say that. The limit for how much we ought to do for others is not measured by what others have done for us. In fact, the real measurement for loving people is the example of Jesus. And I think, as I think of that, I'm like, whoa, did, did I catch that? The measurement for how much to love people is the example of Jesus. We all know that we'll never be perfect in life. We have a lot of room to grow. But we do have the example of Jesus that challenges us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John wrote in his first epistle that if someone says they love God who they haven't seen physically, but he hates his brother who he has seen, he's a liar. The truth is not in him, I think it says. And so Jesus did not say in the golden rule that we only return love when we have been given love. The way of Jesus is to give love when none is given or none is expected. That's hard to do. But the teachings of Jesus are very deep and life-changing. Paul wrote to the Romans, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Another thing Jesus did not say in the golden rule that we can wait until someone deserves to be loved before we love them. <laughs> I'm amazed at myself sometimes how almost automatically I put people in categories as far as how much they deserve to be loved, how much they deserve my attention or my care or whatever. And too often I rate them in a selfish way. And what, what do I, how do I rate them? I rate them by what the measure in which they can contribute to my life. I'll just be honest. That's what I can selfishly do. 
rather than seeing them as a valuable person inside of God, a soul that will live forever. Jesus did not say anything about a person being deserving of love in the golden rule. Paul wrote, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for, for us. Another thing Jesus did not say in the golden rule is that we are to have a narrow list of a few things that we are willing to do for a select few. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus used the word whatsoever. Whatsoever is a very broad term. It's not a narrow term. Literally, Jesus is saying, contribute to the needs around you, whatever they may be. We can think about the Good Samaritan. There was a man that with a need, and someone seen the need and responded to that need. Even though he had, there was no incentive for him to. There's no money coming in his pocket. There was nothing. That man in the ditch could contribute nothing to the Good Samaritan. That's the kind of love Jesus promotes. We all know that sometimes the needs of people are physical. Many times they're spiritual or some combination. And one of the ways we can go ye into all the world, as Jesus taught, is to practice the golden rule, to love the people that we come in contact with. So Jesus did not say in the golden rule to limit carrying that golden rule out only to your close friends or to your family or to fellow believers or only to the people you like and who probably will return the favor. Jesus said, whatsoever you would that men should do to you. The word men has the idea, I think, of any human being. Very broad term. Not a select few of my favorite people who will probably return the favor. So, it includes the grumpy neighbor. It includes the brat in school that nobody likes. It includes the lazy co-worker. It includes the person who irritates me and I have conflicts with. It includes the person who has left our church and says bad things about us. It includes the person who will probably never return the favor. That's hard to do. We have this uh, thing within us that sees what's fair and what's not. And God gave us that, I guess. Uh, Sin twisted it into something selfish. But our human flesh hates when we're treated unfairly. Peter wrote about Jesus. And he said uh, when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. And so on. I find it significant that Peter, of all the disciples, is the one who wrote about that. You know, Peter was the one quick with the sword, right? But evidently, Peter learned something from Jesus that he applied to his life and he wrote about it years later. Jesus actually lived the golden rule. Peter didn't deserve forgiveness. Even though Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, 
He failed Jesus at his time of need. So he didn't deserve forgiveness or the love of Jesus. Um, Judas didn't deserve a second chance. The Jewish religious leaders of the day did not deserve anything good from Jesus. The thief on the cross did not deserve to, to be in paradise with Jesus. And there's been countless sinners through the ages who did not deserve salvation and forgiveness of sin, including you and I. Nobody in this room, especially me, deserves anything from God except judgment. But the author of the Golden Rule has chosen to offer you and I what we do not deserve or have earned. And that's a level of love that I struggle to wrap my mind around. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It's an amazing thought. Now, and all I've said about loving others when they don't deserve it and so on, I hope we understand that there are certain limits and conditions that apply to these kinds of situations. The prodigal son would have not been reinstated had he stayed at the bar with his rowdy friends. He would not have been reinstated if he stayed in the pig pen, but because he went home and surrendered his life to his father, there was conditions that needed to be made, if you want to call it that, that criteria. But the point is, I'm trying to bring out, is the father in the prodigal son story loved his son when his son was at the bar with his rowdy friends. He loved his son, longed for his son when he was in the pig pen. And when he seen him coming down the road, that love was still there. Even though he was a dirty, wretched, poor excuse of a son and didn't deserve anything. Didn't even deserve to be a servant. God loves a rebellious and defiant sinner and longs to bring that lost sheep into the fold. And then comes a sobering thought. Do I love that way? Do I love that way? No, it doesn't mean we love the sin. But do we love the person, the soul within? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That's Matthew 5.44. Paul quotes Jesus several times. He did in Acts 20, verse 35, as more blessed to give than to receive. In Romans, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Romans 15.1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So as you think about the golden rule, Scripture is full of it. It's all over the place in God's Word. And it's not just a shallow version of the golden rule. Yes, we need a lot of wisdom to know how to apply the golden rule to daily living in, in all kinds of complicated situations. And we could discuss, I suppose, proper limits and boundaries and have disclaimers on when and how to serve the needy people around us. And I suppose those things need to be in place. But Jesus did not put boundaries on how much to love people in the golden rule. Therefore, 
All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. When we put God back into the golden rule as it's supposed to be, and not just live the golden rule in a shallow way, but in the way that Jesus intended, we will see that the golden rule is not a just a generic, bland bit of good advice for good people that is intended to improve us slightly. No, the golden rule is a radical way of living, what Jesus taught. Just a couple verses in closing out of Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10. Galatians 6, verses 7 to 10. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. May we daily follow the example of Jesus, even if it means we lose the quarter in the Audi shopping cart. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this group of people. And, Lord, as we looked at the teachings of Jesus, Lord, help us to remember that you have called us to live like you did. And there's needy people all around us, Lord, and sometimes it's overwhelming as we think of how to to minister to needs and, and which ones to focus on and what person to call and what person to help. And So give us wisdom, Lord. And help us to know how to give the things you've given us to others. And to be good stewards of what you've given us. And to invest those things in the lives of the people around us. Bless this congregation. I pray that we can encourage each other as we spend this time together today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.